Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. When you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. Listeners, we are so excited this week because our guest is two-time Hugo Award finalist Chuck Tingle. Chuck is a mysterious force of energy behind sunglasses and a pink mask and the anonymous author of romance, horror, and fantasy. Chuck writes to prove love is real because love is the most important tool we have when resisting the endless cosmic void. Amen. His latest novel, The Queer Horror Camp Damascus, is out the day after this recording drops. Chuck, welcome to the show. We are so stoked to have you. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I am thrilled uh, for a number of reasons. One is that um, I could I could talk about art all day. If you want to get me just riled up and uh, put a microphone in front, I'm going to go for dang five hours just about 
picking apart some piece of uh, media that I enjoy. Um, and then number two is, I, I've talked about this a lot in, in interviews. I think it's probably controversial for an author, but, um, you know, look at me. I got I got a dang pink bag over my head right now. I, it doesn't, sure do. I, I don't, uh, I don't uh, shy away from uh, being unique or different in, in my approach. And um, for an author, I actually um, artistically draw a lot less from books and a lot more from film in my okay. writing. I, I write all the time and I read very little. I think um, as a buckaroo on the autism spectrum, part of my hyper focus, it helps me write. I just, I can, I can write thousands of words a day. So that's why you're so prolific. <laughs> that that actually really uh really is yes and wow. and so i can just i can just take off like a rocket ship on writing and whenever i start to read i can get a, about a half a page before my my mind starts mm. to think about writing actually my okay. own stories what i would i start analyzing it and so like i said i think that's part of my um autistic way and so when i want to receive a story through some kind of medium Film is is really my choice, and I also write. Uh, I think in a cinematic style, my pacing and my plotting is very film based. And like I said, I think as an author, especially an adult author, uh, you're not supposed to say that. Right? I do not care. I don't care at all. I'm, we're we're out here being dang punk rockers, and, and it doesn't doesn't Hell matter yeah. to me. Now I say uh, yeah. I say any medium works. So yeah. I, anyway. I'm so excited. Well, we're incredibly excited. When when I got the notification that you were interested in coming on, I was so I was excited. I was like shouting over the phone to Mary Beth about it. But the reason why we're here is your new horror novel, Camp Damascus. Uh, can you tell listeners a little bit about it? As I said offline, I'm only about halfway through and I'm not sure how far Mary Beth is. So uh, not as many spoilers because this is coming out before the episode drop or before the, the book drops. But what is this book about? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, the... It is a bit of a mystery in the sense of um, information is unraveled slowly. And I think part of the stake of the book and what makes it entertaining is the amount of times I think uh, readers will kind of um, flip-flop back and forth about maybe what they think is going on. So I'm, I'm trying yeah. to be very careful about spoilers, but I will say in a basic sense, it is about a, a queer uh, conversion therapy camp trying to uh, pray the gay away and they have a hundred percent success rate uh, mm. there is a, a town in montana that is essentially their economy is built around this camp and uh the lead character rose uh is autistic and also i don't think it's a, a spoiler to say also queer although at the beginning of the story that uh, is kind of part of the mystery of exploring why her feelings are the, are the way that they are. And uh, kind of uh, Rose unraveling um, what yeah. it is that makes uh, this camp have a 100% success rate and kind of the dark secret behind that. Yeah. So when I was reading like the plot synopsis on Amazon, it, it didn't really give anything away and so it was really kind of cool to dive into this book and just sort of experience it as it's like unfolding and so my first surprise was um i didn't i didn't know the gender of the of the the protagonist until i started reading and then i realized it was rose and i guess it's because like i'm i'm particularly used to seeing um a lot of the the kind of gay male erotica that that you've written um in the past and so what drew you to writing this story first focusing on um a young queer woman and also about the idea of of queer conversion camps 
Yes. Well, I started out um, when I started writing Tinglers. I mean, I'm a, there are, I guess, for listeners that don't know, Tinglers are short erotica stories. Usually, I would say, I, I shy away from saying strange or, or weird because to me, they are just, I would say, uh, joyful and maybe, uh, I, I would say, unique partners of uh, mm. Bigfoot or a living concept or something kind of a, a magical. Mothman, Mothman erotica, as an, I'm a Mothman yes. freak. So I'm very, there I love mo- the Mothman erotica is very much in, in my wheelhouse of content. I, I, as a side note, um, Mothman, I always knew Mothman was handsome, but uh, dang, do those tinglers resonate with uh, with the buckaroos. I, I did not expect uh, them to quite take off as much as they did. So, yeah, there's oh, a lot yeah. of... There's Ooh, a lot yeah, of... Mothman's a boy. <laughs> moth, moth heads uh, out there. Moth heads rise up, I guess. But, uh, yes, so, um, that, that is a, and when I started, they were, uh, they were gay, uh, queer, only, uh, kind of, uh, buckaroo on buckaroo. And I think part of why I did that was because I wanted them to be unabashedly queer, just you look at it, it, and also, I was just kind of exploring uh, parts of myself that I didn't quite understand yet. There's also a lot of, I think that as well, when I come up with these ideas, I was kind of shaping uh, political statements and these things. Mm -hmm. And personally, I think that, um, I think that women get a lot of, get sexualized in the media, uh, celebrities, politicians, these things, more than I think needs to be done. I think that's going to happen anyway. I kind of didn't want to contribute to that. Yeah. Well, I just thought I'm going to write about just mostly just buckaroos and not ladybucks because, you know, there's a big difference whether they're a conservative that needs to be taken down a peg or not between me writing about um uh, a male politician getting pounded in this way or or a ladybug politician this way. And I said, I just don't want to contribute to that. It just doesn't yeah. feel. And so I still, I still will not. Um, there are two rules for tinglers. I, I don't write about um, ladybug celebrities, real ones. I'll write about, I write lesbian tinglers all the time, but I just don't. If others want to do that artistically, whatever, uh, I understand. It's just not for me. And then two, I don't write about um, personifications of things like natural disasters or things that where people are, okay. are hurt or injured in, in reality. I just don't want to contribute to those things when there's death or something like that involved. That's why I didn't, when COVID was happening, everyone said, Chuck, you yeah. should write COVID tingler. And so... I didn't do that, but I wrote uh, tinglers about washing your hands or uh, social distancing or these these yeah. different ways. But personifying COVID itself as a sort of hero, I thought I, I did not like the the ethics of that. So those yeah. are yeah. kind of okay. kind of my my rules. And when I started out, I was just exploring these different feelings, um, and eventually. It, it just it was a it was a habit. I was just writing, and I, I said, "Oh, I like this. Oh, I like this one." And then eventually, 
I started reaching out to the buckaroos in the community and saying, I would really like the Tingleverse to be a place for everyone. I want mm-hmm. all to be welcome across the queer spectrum. I mean, all are, are welcome regardless, but if I'm going to be writing these queer books, let's uh, let's uh, bring some others in. So I started writing bisexual tinglers, which is uh, wh- where I am on, on the sexuality spectrum, uh, trans tinglers, uh, ladybuck on ladybuck tinglers, asexual tinglers, I'm uh, non-binary tinglers. So now I'm really making an effort to oh, yeah. spread that out. To answer your question about Rose, I well, I will say personally, I I have um, I talked about this a little bit, but I find my own gender identity something that I think I will continue exploring. I think that okay. I resonate yeah. with femininity uh, much much more. There's a thing called the button question, uh, where it's if you were to push a button and change uh, into a, your, a whatever body you want. Uh, would right. it be a male or female, non-binary? What would you pick? And as as uh, as myself, uh, who has always been a he him uh, pronoun user, um, I would push the button and uh, change into a female body uh, because okay. I feel like that that kind of matches the most. The the thing is, is that it doesn't it doesn't have that. Um, all deep in me the um buckaroos talk about dysphoria i don't have mm-hmm. there's no part okay. of me that, that thinks about it every day it's more like a lot it's just a logical fact it's just the thing it's just the truth it's what i would do if i had the button i would push it yeah. so that that is something interesting I, I would call it maybe non-dysphoric trans has been has been used oh okay okay yeah but but so that is something that i, I don't talk about it too much because it is just such a i'm still it still flies around in my gender brain. gender is so fucking weird isn't it like the yes. most fucking weird thing like it's it's so it's it, i like I know people say it's not important, but it is really important to a lot of people and trying to understand. And it is such like a putting your head around gender is just such like a wild fluid experience that I wish more people understood, like how that experience is incredibly fluid. And it's cool to hear you talk about that because I think it does show like gender identity is so unique for every person and it is very fluid. And that's just way we should think about it. It shouldn't be that. D- difficult to understand that and i think what what is so interesting about my relationship with it um to, to a point you made it is so important to so many buckaroos and yet to me i am in a strange position because it is not important at all to me it yeah. is a uh it personally it is a uh it just kind of is. I don't think about it. So that's why it's so interesting for me to explore is when I, when yeah. I, you know, I was trotting around with some buds and uh, uh, they were, all, you know, a bunch of guys, guys, and they were, they're saying, oh, who's got the, the dang perfect body? If you could have any body, who would it be? They're throwing a dang Brad Pitt and dang Fight Club and all, all these different things. And then when it was my turn, I said, oh, well, you know, maybe like a dang Brie Larson. And everybody kind of looked at, at Chuck and they were like, what, what the heck are you talking about? And I said, oh, it, I didn't realize that. I, I, I didn't realize I was off the table. That's just what, what my thought was. Uh, yeah. And so... Um, it's I kind of have a relationship with it like that, where it just it does not bring me up or down. It's rare. Yeah. It's never part of my day. It is just kind of like a 
that's just the truth of it. And and yeah. who knows? I mean, maybe maybe that will someday be a big part of my life. But the, you know, for the moment, it just kind of is what it is for me. And that's so awesome. it's it's interesting to explain. Anyway, that is the most rambling answer to your dang question. I but, loved um, it though. I, I, I think no, more people need so to talk good, about though. that. Yes. Yeah, I, I think Rose maybe. I mean, the short answer is that I wrote a novella called Straight, and it and it had a, a, a male uh, protagonist. So maybe I just wanted to switch it for the next one, or maybe yeah. there there is a subconscious thing where I knew that Rose, because Rose is autistic, uh, like I am. Uh, uh, there's a lot uh, of personal stuff in Rose, so maybe I wanted uh, Rose to uh, to be a woman. And I don't know. Really know. It, it's a it's an interesting thing to think about. I would say that I personally uh, I try to go to kind of change that, uh, just because I, I think diversity is interesting of of who yeah. your uh, first person present speaker is. So I kind of try to just maybe alternate the different books, um, you know, just different ways and 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 do that. But um, I personally prefer to write from a uh, a woman's perspective. Okay. If, if they're just okay. I can, I could write whatever I wanted. I would like that kind of, I guess in the same way of the button question, buckers can ask them, if you're playing the dang video game, which old Chuck used to, I would I would always pick the, the dang ladybuck character. So would I. You know, Hell yeah. Would I. Yes. Hell you're, yeah. You're, you're a young buckaroo and all the friends are saying, why the heck are you a dang Princess Peach? And you say, well, Princess Peach is clearly the best. What the heck are you talking she about? She is clearly the well, best. obviously she is She the could best, float. Though. In Super Mario Brothers 2, she could float. And she made that game so much more fun. <laughs> yes. I've always been drawn to that. Yeah. So what was the experience like for you writing like a full-length horror novel versus these tinglers that are shorter, they're very specific, and they're erotica, and you're shifting, like you're really shifting gears to something very different than people have seen from you. But then what was that like writing it? Did it feel super different? Or it sounds like you write a lot. So like, what was that kind of process like to shift gears so differently from what you're used to writing? Um, yes. Um, well, there's two big differences. One is um, tinglers are really used to, um, in almost real time, comment on what, a political situation, my thoughts about something. So okay. I, yeah. think, I think that just the speed of that um, I wrote uh, Camp Damascus. I mean, this is going to be coming out about two years after it was written. And so part oh, of wow. me was thinking, well, is this going to uh, resonate the way it did? Uh, but I found, especially with uh, queer issues, the devils who we are battling against are just so dang dang ridiculous and a lot of what they do is a cycle so if you look at the way for instance this is kind of unrelated but um even go back to our first first question if you look at the way that trans buckaroos are spoken about by conservative devils it is cut and paste the way they talked about gay yep. buckaroos 30 years ago you can it looks like a dang mad libs that they just filled in so a lot of these issues <laughs> it does i'm still I, even though I wrote Camp Damascus two years ago, it's still a, all, all these issues still apply because the same they're just the same cycle that they use over and over again. And these are systematic problems. So that was yeah. The, yeah. the big one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know that you've addressed a lot of that stuff in the Tingler. So it's 
got to be great to kind of write even further into that. And also really fucking sad that those topics are even more relevant now than they were two years ago. Like, it's just awful. But I'm glad you're writing about queer conversion camps because people hear about them and we know we had they slash them and we don't need to talk about that movie. But I'm excited that you're you're tackling that and especially from an autistic queer perspective it's just like you know it's a perspective that we don't have in the horror genre in any kind of media and it's great that we're fine like we're getting that and yes thank you for pointing that out there is there is queer horror and there is great queer horror but and i'm sure there obviously there is neurodivergent i'm not i'm not i don't want to give myself too much credit but i have the I feel like writing a sort of autistic horror novel, um, I I just personally don't know where I have really seen that before, especially from an autistic I have one for you. I have one for you if you want one. So Andrew, Andrew Joseph White, have you ever heard of him? So Andrew Joseph White is a trans autistic writer. His first book, um, Hell Followed With Us, is this like incredible post-apocalyptic, biblically accurate angel, queer, autistic book. And his new book, The Spirit Bears His Teeth, is also has an autistic trans protagonist. And he is one of the few that I have found that's writing about that stuff. And he's pretty new. So I would definitely recommend it. His his stuff right now is, is, is technically considered young adult, but it's really gross. So like it's, and it's incredibly well-written. So if you're looking for another autistic horror writer, who's also writing queer trans characters, please check out his stuff. It's real good. It's amazing. And I saw a review of Camp Damascus, I think maybe yesterday, that uh, compared it to, you said Hell Follows With Us? Yeah. Is that, um, com- compared it to that book, and I thought, oh, I've never heard of this book, I should uh, I should check it out. So, what an interesting uh, convergence cool. of titles. <laughs> Confluence, yeah. 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 That's what I really enjoyed, because this is written from Rose's perspective, so it was, it was interesting to get into her head and see the sort of hyperfixation that, that she has, and, and kind of, you know, I think books can be very, well, any art can be very empathetic, and so what I love about this is being able to spend some time in her head and see the world from her perspective. And I think, I don't know, I feel like if more people were able to put themselves into different shoes that, you know, maybe love would win that. So I I guess I I really enjoy the fact that this is a completely different protagonist than I'm used to seeing in horror and seeing their perspectives so clearly. Wow. Thank you. Yes. I I mean, empathy is, um, I mean, that's what on the, on the path to love uh, creating empathy, what a dang tool. Uh, so y- yes, yeah. thank you for saying that. I, yeah, I, and I very much, um, you know, I, I very much enjoyed writing Rose. That that's very kind. Thank you. Of course. So let's let's take it back though. How did you get introduced to the horror genre? Okay, well, I have always I have always loved horror. I have always loved in my own art. Um, I call it Malign's trinity of genre of horror. Uh, comedy and erotica or ro- mm-hmm. romance, which are just um, genres that I think are kind of looked down upon as being uh, lower class, yeah. if that makes sense. They don't g- get the awards. They are not seen as serious, even though a lot of those are making the most money, funny enough. So it shows that, yep. that the sort of intelligentsia saying, you can't like those if you want to be serious about about art. Okay, really quick. To jump into that, erotica and romance. I used to be an asshole about that. 
those you know this romance writers make like the amount of books that romance writers write and people devour them and i mean like and also i think it's also Mm got to do a little bit with gender because like oh that's a woman's book like that's not important and i just like so much money they do it's huge when i used to work in a library romance always books coming out of the romance section and i think an erotica and i just think it's so maligned for what it is but it shouldn't because it's a money maker people love that shit and it's yeah so anyway i just wanted to jump in about like how important erotica and romance novels are and how they're just as disregarded as like oh those are women's books and it's like well fuck you yes (laughs) and i think that um i think that the reason, first of all, you are right about the the women's book thing. That's that's a huge issue with that. Um, the thing that I identify and kind of resonate with in that is that um, I think that they are reactions of the body, and that the body is always seen as kind of um, primal yeah. and not higher thought. Yeah. So, um, okay. Or you have, you have fear and you scream. Uh, comedy, you laugh. And erotic and romance, you are aroused. So there, these are these things that you kind of can't help with your your brain. They are instinct. They are animalistic. And so those are kind of seen as not serious. To me, artistically, I think that's what all the dang fun is. That's that's so honest yep. and raw, which is something that I really love to kind of get to the bottom of is how how honest and just real can we make something so uh for me i just i I love exploring that place and i think horror and erotica that's kind of artistically why i started to create it was i just liked exploring the honesty there oh cool yeah well do you remember the first horror like how did you get introduced to horror? Like, was it movies? Did you watch, was there a movie you watched for the first time that like really stuck with you or something? Like, can you kind of tell us how you got introduced to the genre as yes. a kid? You know, I talked about this the other day, even before anything actually scary. I was always, um, I guess, I think the example I, I gave was, uh, if there are a bunch of lunchboxes, I'm picking the one with the werewolf on it. Even if it's a silly werewolf, yes. sort of if it's a silly werewolf, that's the one that and i don't really know why i just even before even the non-scary versions of the scary things that that was always i think i guess you know maybe there is something about it the the other or it being monstrous the other Uh, yeah it may be interesting so before i was ever scared of anything i was uh I just drawn to it, you know, so um, there's that. And then the first, I think the first movie that I remember seeing was um, uh, on television, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Um, I had seen it. Oh, wow. I had seen scary things before, but it was one of those late night, it comes on Mm -hmm. and then just, dang, just, uh, uh, and and I think what I liked about it was, um, and by the way, this is the, the remake, so oh, um, okay, and, and okay. it's uh, it's. I think George Romero also did the remake, but nobody seems to like. It. I like the remake better personally, but there is really? just something. Yeah, well, huh. I, yeah, I, I, it's I well, it's a personal thing, probably because that's the one I saw. But yeah, I that's just remember, fair. Yeah, yeah. I just remember thinking, um, wow. I like that they're all uh, holed up in this house, and uh, mm-hmm. and I like 
there was something about it where I, I thought, oh, I really like staying here with these people. And there's something scary outside. And I like seeing what we're going to do to keep us safe. And, and there, I don't, there was honestly, I would say something cozy about it, even though it was scary. And um, yeah. I just really liked that feeling. And it's a really kind of a strange thing to think about. It yeah. is, but it's, I think that's, I think a lot of horror fans have that where it's like, it's both, it's this thing that you feel like, Ooh, I'm home, but at the same time, this is scaring me, but also maybe I can overcome it and I'll be, I'll be changed for it. And so like, there's, there's that kind of push and pull between like the grotesque and, and the cozy. Cause I do find a lot of times when people ask what like my comfort film is or something like that, I will just list a horror movie that yep. I go to and I rewatch constantly yes. and people are like, that's your comfort film. But I think it's because for, for, for a lot of fans of, of the genre, it becomes nostalgic it becomes like that kind of first time that you saw something that was different than reality in a lot of ways and i just i don't know i love that i love that about it so chuck were you a scared kid were you easily scared by horror movies or horror media or any scary things that you consumed i was horrified of everything and then okay and then something switched I don't know what it is. And I would say in, well, so uh, in my past, you know, I, a lot of, you know, I keep a lot of myself a mystery. Uh, and so I tell stories, I talk about family life or other things, but um, I would say that it, it is a way of um, meta, uh, meta fiction or meta truth, depending on how you look at it, which is the example I give is if I, if I post online that I pet a dog today, um, I might've pet a cat. But I, but the, but something mm. did happen. So so that is what I used to kind of protect my my privacy. So I have to be yeah. be careful about the things that I say sometimes. But I will say, um, as a truthful nugget, at a certain point in the day, uh, early, great early teenage years, I left where I was originally from and basically trotted all over the dang country in a way reminiscent of you know Jack Kerouac or something. Uh, hitching okay. rides, mm-hmm. no home, uh, living out of a dang uh, suitcase. And I did that for probably um, a decade and a half before landing in, oh, in wow. Billings. Um, most of my life was spent kind of trotting around. So oh, wow. my, I, I think that during that time, something happened where I was just not afraid anymore and um went to the total opposite where i can't remember the last time i was scared i I really it's it's been it's been maybe decades i I don't know i just i do not feel that anymore um every once in a while you'll watch a real real good horror movie that actually scare scares you um i feel like that's everything three years or something i don't know i just do not i don't get scared anymore and i don't know why well what are some that have scared you like that then like recent ones especially like when was the last time you felt that close feeling i feel like i that's that's really hard to answer because my first instinct is is none and then i think there's a bunch of, that I really liked, and there's so many new horror movies that I love. I just don't know if they scared me. I, I, that's that's I, I don't fair. Know if I'm, okay. 
I don't know if I'm different from most horror fans, but um, I don't I don't need a horror movie to scare me. I don't I don't. No. It's not really part of it for me. I love them without getting scared. Yeah, I vaguely recall feel like I got scared in Barbarian, but I think that might just be that I liked it so much, and my memory yeah. of it is is more that I just loved that movie and less that I was scared by it. I, I can't. I really can't think of the last time I was I was scared, actually. Wow. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. It's like, yeah. scared is a weird word sometimes with horror, because, like, I, I, I was affected by it. Not necessarily terrified, but I was, like, emotionally affected by it. And I was yes. looking for, like, that emotional reaction. And whether that's fear or I loved it, you know, that kind of thing. So, like, what other films have you had, like, maybe more, like, emotional reactions to, like, deep kind of emotional reactions to recently? Besides oh, okay. Yes. Um. Gosh. Recently, I'm trying to think of what. So I, I always ask these questions about like rest recent things, and I forget every movie I've ever seen. So I just did it right back Same. to you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I, I want to have a good. Let, um. Yeah, I'm sure it's the same. I think part of it too is I watch so many horror movies and. Okay. Uh, and that I see everything that comes out. So part of me is it's okay. just a giant, it's a big blur. It's like a blur. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know how you feel. <laughs> yes. It's, it's just, it just all moves together within me. Oh, you know, I, I mean, I will say this. My writing is very inspired by uh, films of Jordan Peele actually um really oh, helped me, okay. me crack the code um, on how I wanted to present what I was doing and kind of um the the beats that oh. I wanted to use and he, he is a huge uh, influence for me for writing and I think that every one of his films including nope which is kind of I, I i would say barely horror i loved it but um, oh, it is okay. I, I feel like it's more a, like a dark sci-fi mm-hmm. but us and get out um gave me that sort of there is a visceral a visceral feeling that i got from those and, yeah. and actually i got it from nope too when i say i don't mean i'm definitely not disparaging nope at all yeah no, of course it's just not. very different mm-hmm. from the other stuff he's done in such an interesting awesome way yeah i think it's i think it's intentionally not as as horror uh, to be honest it is well you know what it is it is still horror but it's horror in the way that um it's a summer blockbuster horror in the same way that yeah. Jaws, you know, Jaws is horror. But at this point, I think if you were to show Jaws to someone that didn't know anything about it, they would say, oh, well, that's like an animal attack movie or so. I, I, you know, that's just, there's just a, a different feeling, but although it is technically a horror. So, yes, I, I think that his movies really, um, really give me that feeling um i think what i look for in horror too and my favorite horror to go back to the feeling thing is um i look at horror in 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 kind of two versions okay i call it grueling horror and cathartic horror although both 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 i think are technically cathartic it's just where does the catharsis come so the first one grueling horror is kind of the 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 most punk rock version where it is i'm gonna put myself through this experience 
and usually they have bad endings and it's how extreme how how big is the roller coaster how many loops does it have and then when you get to the other side you're exhausted and it's, it's kind of fourth wall breaking where something really bad happened yeah. to these characters but i myself have survived and then you kind of get catharsis as the viewer or the reader from that and then the second version which is cathartic uh, horror is instead of you feeling that at the end when it's kind of over with and you go about your day and you're still alive the next day um cathartic horror it, at the third act or maybe the midpoint the characters kind of turn the tables and you get this sort of a I mean, revenge is kind of a, a version of what it is, but the the lead character comes back and you're feeling these emotions yeah. of catharsis as they escape and kill everybody and go to that up. rush. And I feel like a lot of what horror is, is is the balance of the audience not knowing which one you're gonna get. And that's kind of the excitement as you go in and you kind of have this push and pull and um and that so for me my preference is the second one of that cathartic core. Um, and I think um, actually Jordan Peele is actually kind of a master of that. I think he does cathartic core yeah. very, very well. Oh yeah. I agree. It's it's, there's a lot of empathy in his work. So I, I do feel that there is like that catharsis at the end that, yeah, I, I hadn't even really thought I mean, about think that. About before, the end of, think about get out and why that, resonated like it did you know i don't want to spoil it i guess it's been out for probably a de- decade now but uh that which is that true i just threw that out it's got to be so I don't think, it's not i don't think it's been a decade but we're getting oh. pretty close i think we're getting it's 2017 so we're we're definitely six years okay. out well dang it first of all good for him he puts out movies fast that's great because uh, to think of that as his old movie, it's only been six years. But yeah, I know what? it's wild. I, that's weird. I actually didn't even think about it at that time, like in that time yes. frame. Like, oh my god, wow, he really has made three really incredible movies in six years. Like that's yes. actually very impressive. Thanks yes. for changing the horror landscape in six years, Jordan Peele. Jesus. And and that <laughs> ending of the catharsis of yeah. escaping yeah. when the when the police lights flash at the end. Yeah, it could have gone so different. And and he, I've seen that um, they shot both endings. And I honestly feel like uh, if you follow those timelines of the ending where that is an actual police crime, it's a it's a bad ending. That changes so much. I think that changes uh, Jordan Peele's career. I think it changes the landscape of horror. It changes my own writing. To be honest, it is really um, hard to hard to understate how much he has uh, influenced Chuck in so many ways. Hell yeah. That's so cool. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break, the playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratchers from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. 
Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. All right, well... We've talked a lot about your history and your work, but Chuck, what movie did you bring with you today for for us to discuss? Wow, I I brought a real classic, and and in rewatching it, I realized. Well, first of all, it just blew my mind. I didn't even think of the Jordan Peele connection because we have to talk about the classic sketch. Uh, listeners might get tipped off by what I'm trying to, because Key and Peele do a sketch about this movie, um, but I picked Gremlins 2. Hell yeah. Alright, so in Gremlins 2, the Gremlins are back, and this time they've taken control of a New York City media mogul's high-tech skyscraper. Short, simple, to the fucking point. Obsessed. To the point. Chuck, tell us, why is this your Scarred for Life pick? How old were you when you saw this? Paint us the picture of why this terrified you and how it terrified you. So here's the here's the thing. I, I don't know how old I was, uh, mostly because I've seen it so many dang times. Um, also because yeah. I, I do like to obscure my real age in some ways. Oh, but fair I, enough. Fair enough. But I can also say this. It came out in 1990. This and uh, the first Gremlins... I watched so many times that um, I really do not have the uh, recollection of the first one. Um, I I do have a recollection of being the VHS at the store because the cover yeah. art of Gremlins Two, well, both the Gremlins uh, VHS cover art, beautiful. I especially, beautiful, I especially like the Gremlins Two one. There, that kind of um hyper-realistic painted style it, that was on uh, a lot yeah, of... And with the cigar, it's just like yes. the most perfect, so perfect fucking cover. Yes, putting it's out so the ashes in the drawer and Gizmo is in the drawer hiding out. And poor Gizmo's there. And that, that, was, that era of covers was just amazing. And, and I will say, maybe this goes back uh, to what, what were you talking about, about... Um, uh, just kind of liking scary things. Uh-huh. I realized upon rewatching because I, I rewatched before I, I came on here that I there's one part that scared me in both Gremlins movies, and everything else for being a very frightened young buckaroo. Not only did not scare me, I just thought it was so cool and also so normal. Upon rewatching, to bring it back to that Key and Peel sketch where they talk about how bizarre Gremlins 2 is, it, it seemed completely made perfect sense to me. Nothing about it was all that far fetched. And now I wonder if that being such a favorite movie of a young Chuck is uh, kind of um, focused my sensibilities and why I, I don't think anything is that unusual about my tinglers. I, I thought maybe my my thing because uh, I understand that Buckaroo's and tinglers are very funny and, and outrageous and I can lean into that but personally when I, most of the time I'm thinking I have, well that's not that that's not that outrageous it's just you know and 
I wonder sometimes, well, at least once when I rewatched Gremlins 2, I thought, does this all come back to Gremlins 2 and me thinking that this was just a thing, normal movie? Thank you, Gremlins 2. Gremlins 2 is why we have Chuck Tingle, everybody, <laughs> at the end of the podcast. Have a great day. <laughs> it could be. It could be. I love that. Well, I what you're saying, though, makes perfect sense, because on a rewatch, like you just have to accept that all of this is real, that all this is possible, that there are gremlins that can drink DNA and change into various other yeah. forms of themselves. Yeah. Like, it's just... You have to accept a whole lot going into this. The movie wants you to follow by its logic as opposed to the world's logic. And I think I love that about it. And I think that's probably why it resonates with with kids in particular, because it's like you sit down and you watch this and the wildest stuff is happening on screen that in real world you say, oh, it, it can't happen. But while you're sitting there and while you're watching this movie, I think the movie is so masterful and that it, it kind of takes you there and says, hey, come with me and I'm going to show you something really wild and we're going to have a lot of fun for almost two yes. hours. Like not enough. I And I talked, I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, just thinking about like how, what horror is right now and what people, what horror people want from horror. And I think Gremlins 2 is an, is an indicator of like when horror was really fun. And I also know that like the production, mm. like Joe Dante made this crazy because he didn't want to make Gremlins 2 and he wanted to make something so ridiculously batshit that they would never ask him to do it again. But it's also like so fun and weird and like, you know, Sure, it's kind of outlandish and dumb, but it's also so fun. And I think that's what a lot of horror movies might are missing now. And I yes. think there's obviously a place for very serious horror, and I love that. But I also think we need to make room for fun, weird, campy, ridiculous horror, because I think that is part of what horror is. And I think being able to have fun with it and just be like, this is so fucking ridiculous, but I love every second of it. Like, yes. yeah, that fucking thing just sprouted wings. Yeah, Christopher Lee's watching Gizmo dance in a laboratory as two t twins that look like Tweedledee <laughs> and Tweedledum from Alice Wonderland dance along with him. Like, why not? It's just, yes. it's fun. It's fun to suspend that disbelief and just let yourself enjoy it instead yeah. of being like, this would never happen. Like, of course it wouldn't. Gremlins wouldn't happen. And yes, Gremlins is a little bit more ground. It's, I would say Gremlins is a little bit more grounded, which sounds funny to say about a movie about monsters, but it is like, there's a realism Obvious. to that. And this one is just outright fucking ridiculous from the skyscraper being fully automated to everything about it. But also like, that's what makes it fun. But I can it also is. see why people are like, this is not Gremlins. But I think it is still Gremlins. It's chaos, but it's just even more heightened, both literally and figuratively, because, you know, skyscrapers. Oh, yes, it um, is. <laughs> well, may I, when you make that comparison, I, I agree that, uh, I mean, Gremlins, I would say that the first Gremlins is 70% horror, 30% comedy, and Gremlins 2 is maybe the, the opposite. It's 70% yeah. 30% horror. I would agree with that. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Yes. And do you, well, here's a question for you. I, I will sum, tell my answer right up front. I think this might be controversial. Personally, I like Gremlins 2 way more. That might be very controversial. Thank you. Um, where, where do you I literally you just posted, I posted on Twitter last night that um, I think this is a perfect movie. I think this movie takes what made Gremlins so interest, interesting and just expands on it so much. I think because of the fact that Joe Dante was was like, okay, I have... Oh, this shit, I'm out. <laughs> right. He's like, I have triple the budget of the original one. And I also have, like, they're not going to have any creative, you know, speaking into what I want to do. And so I think he just, like, 
went wild with this yeah. one and the imagination on display, but also a lot of the kind of in jokes that were happening. Like I love, I died laughing last night when I was watching this with uh, the Leonard Malton bit because he famously slandered gremlins the original one as being you know horrible and so then he shows up in this one and he's like holding the gremlins movie and then he just gets attacked and destroyed by gremlins is so hilarious to me and it's so funny because it's it's very tongue-in-cheek and the fact that he could be a good enough sport to be like okay i can go on this movie and get torn apart from my the way i i you know criticize the first movie i just think that's so much fun and it's so I don't know. There's so much more imagination in this film. There's also very tingle verse in in the sense that um, a lot of my tinglers are are meta. They are referencing the one before it. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so I was watching it. I thought, wow, really um, watching this movie. I wonder if that was kind of a subconscious influence on my writing as well. Uh, Of just the okay, yeah. There are so many fourth wall breaks. Um, I, you know, yeah. um, before we go on, um, um, Mary Beth, uh, Gremlins 1 or Gremlins 2? Um, so this is the first time I've seen Gremlins 2. I'm going to be perfectly oh, honest. Okay. You've got me to watch that Gremlins 2 a, for the first time. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to hear your perspective then because this, that must have been <laughs> me too. so dang bizarre. It's, it's very hard in comparing them to me right now because they just feel very they feel obviously connected but very different very different I loved this though and i don't i'm really sorry i don't know if i have an answer for you yet about which and i might at the end of this but i think i love how ridiculous it is i gremlins has a very special place in my heart as i know it has a very special place in all of our hearts for like what it what it was but this one it's just like it's one of those things that it's like, okay, you gave a guy a budget, look what he can fucking do with it. And I was like, it's really mm-hmm. impressive and silly, but mm-hmm. like, it's, you have to be impressed by how crazy it is, by the fact that there is an automated wild build. And it's like, the whole thing is wild. And I think I love that, that like, they said, we're going to go for it. And they went for it so hard like okay i guess we're all just gonna have different kinds of gremlins now and we're gonna have more personalities like there's more personalities to the gremlins and i really like that because i think we always have gizmo having his personality because i when gizmo comes on the screen and this i almost started crying i don't know why i think i'm like not doing great i'm also getting my period tmi (laughs) i'm a woman but um it was just like i love his face they made a character that is so fucking cute and sweet and that you cheer for and then you have these like you have the one with the googly eyes and his cross-eyed and you have the one with the sharp teeth and it's like there's more personalities to them you kind of like okay we get to know them a little bit more and then we get the bat gremlin and the spider gremlin and then the titty gremlin like it's all just so insane, but it all works in a way that it shouldn't, but it does. And I think I do, I don't know, I still don't have an answer because I think they're doing such different things. It's hard for me to compare, but I just love, okay, I'm going to say something here. I wish that Scream had kind of gone like this, Scream 6 had gone this direction. And I know, I know they're very different, but this is another New York movie, and the, but they smartly mm-hmm. did a single, a, almost single location 
New York movie in a high rise. And it's got, if you've seen the new Dread movie, the remake with Carl Urban, they have like, they're going up levels of a building and there's like boss levels Mm -hmm. on each one. And I love that progression of going up the skyscraper and containing it, but there's so much going on in that skyscraper. And I wish that Scream 6 had kind of maybe taken a similar route. And again, I love Scream 6, but I think that they're, Joe Dante really plays with that setting in a in, in, in an interesting way. And yes, I know it's only in the skyscraper, but still there's something playing with like heights and all that stuff there. And I just wow, love yes. that. I didn't, um, what an astute observation. I, to think of how many times I've seen this, I didn't never really clocked that classic, we're going to move the horror to New York uh, movie, or a long tradition of those but only a, basically a single location. That is really, um, that yeah. is interesting. I don't think that's ever been done. Um, I, it's so I, smart. Yeah. And it's so smart though. And like, yeah, I'm, I know the budget was massive, but it still contains everything and you keep it from not, well, I know the bat gremlin flies out and there's that part, but a lot of it right. is so contained to the skyscraper. So even though it's like, in the city and it still feels massive it is just in one building really yeah yeah and i do know that there was there was some concern when they said bring the gremlins to new york they're like there's no way we could film this in new york at like with with the budget that we have and so uh, the script revision decided to create this the skyscraper and focus mostly on there and it's it makes sense and i think it it gives us new york because you think of new york you think of skyscrapers and at the time you think of like the leading technology so of course new york would have this one building where everything is filmed on a cable network and we have like uh you know automated doors and everything but i love this idea of like again I think we look at when you look at like Gremlins, Gremlins is like a, a perfect small town that is, you know, beset by by Gremlins. Here we have, but it's like this idea of the idea that suburbia could also be horror. And we see we see that a lot in some of the work in the 80s with like this and poltergeist saying, hey, you know, you are going to these safer, and I'm using this in quotations, listeners, safer places, but there are still places of horror. And I think when we look at the future and we think, oh, it'd be really cool to have like a building that that talks to you that welcomes you to the men's room that that has a revolving hey, doors and all this kind Did of you stuff wash your hands? and then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then we have that and then we we see sort of like the way that this again just sort of like a twisted small town americana yes. is twisting this i this this a vision of the future in which everything is computerized and automated and everything is wonderful and so i love i love that we're kind of still taking that essence of what i think made gremlins so unique and we're now expanding it to be what we want from the future. Oh, yes. There, there are there are two things that I want to say to what each of you said. Um, uh, yes. Th- um, first, to, to go back uh, to what Mary Beth said about Gizmo. Gizmo, mm. what do you think? They, I don't want to. I'm, I'm making bold statements all over the place. I don't think that. Gremlins works without Gizmo being as viscerally cute. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but Gizmo, a safety hazard. Um, you should not have that creature anywhere. The, its very existence of Gizmo is honestly um, kind of unethical. And yes. the reason that it works in these movies is because Gizmo's dang adorable. And you think, well, yeah, you could get him wet and like, basically um, everyone could die. I, in in <laughs> Greenways 2, the question is, is 
well, we can keep this simple uh, creature. It's really cute, but if you get it wet, all of New York City, and honestly, when you think about it, maybe the world will end if these gremlins get out of this building because then they get wet and make more. And then you go, yeah, but he's pretty dang cute, and he's got a pretty good, he's got a good song. It, it, no, but it fucking is. They get you. It's like it's the fuzziness, and like again, it's because he's a practical little creature, and he has like the cute, yes. tiny little toes. It's the ear. Yes. It's like they like. I don't understand how they specifically Expressive like eyes. genetically, not genetically, because he's obviously not real, but like engineered this creature to be like the cutest thing I've ever seen and like it gives me cute aggression so bad I want to punch something <laughs> like it's just especially like <laughs> the scene where the guy where the guy is like fixing the water fountain and he's spraying it out and gives me like no I'm like save him at all costs Gomez <laughs> Adams is is fixing the water fountain what is yes. what is okay I thought, I thought that person looked familiar and that makes me feel less insane but then also when they've got him like in the lab for the first time when we see him and he's in the cage and i'm like not animal testing on gizmo anything but gizmo and then they have him fucking dance after he drove a race car in the first one like what are you doing to me like what are you trying to do to my heart like you can't not love gizmo and i think they did such a good job. Who designed Gizmo? I'm such a bad researcher. I need to look up who designed, like, who that's, did the work. Yeah. Because- I, I, well, I, they, that's got to be intention. I know when you're at least writing it, you think, well, the audience, anyone actually thinking about this is going to wonder why we're keeping Gizmo around. And you have to have those themes the dancing, the animal testing. You have to put him through all this grueling stuff. Otherwise, it really doesn't make sense. And I will say, um, Phoebe Cates, the only one in this movie that has any sense at all. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And says, what the heck are you doing? She was like, I don't want that fucking thing on our house. Obviously not direct quote, but that's the vibe. It's like, what the fuck we read we're we're not at home anymore get rid of it and he's like it's just for the night do you remember last time what happened and he's like oh this is so cute and she's like i don't want this in my house because as you said chuck this having one of these these gizmos these mogwais is like unethical it is like the fate of the world in the palms of this little cute animal and so i I think yeah. Oh, now go on. I'm just going to ramble on about how Phoebe Cates is the only one that makes sense. You, you go. Sorry. Well, and I also just wanted to point out one of my favorite parts of this movie that's like very small and very funny is when they're talking about the rules of what's going on and like in that control booth and the guy is like well how do time uh-huh. zones work and i'm like that's me because terry knows this my ass is always asking stupid questions like well how does that work if you do this and somebody's like well it's, it's always midnight somewhere like what happens when you when it it time zones and then a fucking big mutated gremlin busts out and gets him that's what i love it's It's sort of like shut the fuck up i'm gonna kill you just don't ask these questions just enjoy the ride and i just i love that kind of prank mentality of this film exactly it's like fucking who cares about the question ask me these dumbass fucking questions shut up die i I actually i have an answer for the time zone question because i thought about the okay i tend to um, when I write horror, a big pet peeve of mine in horror is when things don't make sense and they're just popping out just to scare. Especially in ghost movies, okay. they do this all the time where you they move into the house and there's an hour and a half of ghosts popping out. And then you just think, well, why? 
why, why do I care about this? All you're going to do is pop out and scare me. You're not accomplishing any goal. We're not closer to, to anything. And so I tend to, um, uh, in my own writing and watching, think about the logic of it. And something, that I, I think, honestly, the time zone question, if you actually consider what these rules are supposed to be, obviously the, the water uh, creates more of them. That's, that triggers some sort of biological breeding procreation response. And then the food part of it triggers some sort of a mutation response. And so because of that, if you actually think about it kind of logically and think of them as just a species of animals, it makes sense that you would need food before mutating and like going into a cocoon to because your body the energy. And a lot of animals do have an internal biological clock. That's why some animals are nocturnal or only hunt at dusk on so my uh, my take, maybe not a controversial one, about the rules, I think that if you change time zones, it wouldn't matter. And I also don't think midnight matters. I think that late at night matters, and they just say midnight because it's easier. And yeah. that it is saying you cannot feed this creature because it will um, enter a, its cocoon mutation state if it is in, in a nocturnal period, which is just part of its body. Gotcha. Like, yeah. I think that if there was a certain gremlin that ate a bunch of food in the middle of the day, it might trigger that state anyway. I think that the midnight is not like a magic thing where on the clock it turns to 12 and it changes. I think it's a biological, um, when the night comes based on their internal clock, they know that okay. it will be safe to yeah. enter a cocoon state if you take they won't be harmed that is my crazy like logical version of what is happening hey i like it honestly yeah, wait, i mean that, that, makes answers, a lot of that sense. answers everything but it's not as catchy as it really midnight. does <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, also, it also doesn't explain how a bat gremlin can fly through a wall and make a perfect batman symbol so okay my logic that is so funny is you know perfect. what logic we talked about this logic for this movie is out the fucking window but i like that though that does make a lot of sense that you know feeding after mid like feeding at night um my so so oh i'm sorry um well I, no please go I, ahead I had, well i had the question for you that has been rolling around okay. in my brain because you're talking about um you're talking about the tower um, do you think, um, and, and I, I think pretty strongly, it seems kind of obvious, but kind of not. This, this is about Trump. Is it uh, right? Absolutely. It is. Yes, it is about this is this is about Trump. And I actually was like, oh. I was Googling it. I was like, is this? It's got to be. It has to be. And so there is an article from Wired that was published in 2016, where they had sat down and talked with with Dante. And he was talking about how he needed a bad guy. It was the late 80s. And he was trying to figure out who would be the bad guy of this movie. And so he was like, uh, he was talking about at that time in New York City, there was one major character who was Mr. Billion, Donald Trump. And so they they basically kind of put that with like a nod to Ted Turner with his his the the building and the, the owning the cable network and all that kind of stuff. They took that and added to it. But yes, their their idea was um at the time Trump was considered quote unquote overbearing and obviously kind of goofy. Um, he had he was an emblem of what was going on in the 80s and 90s with greed and money and crassness and the idea of the whole world being for sale. But he seemed sort of harmless is what they 
were talking about back then. And then they're like, who would know that this buffoon would become the president of the United States? Like that was the basic uh, gist I was getting from from their interview. They just could not believe it. It it is interesting how the way. um, So it's Daniel Clamp in the in the with his scary ass teeth. Good Lord, the teeth. Yeah, well, you know, yes, he, but, and he's smiling a lot, which is like, well, uh, the, reason, a very toothy the reason that I wasn't, I mean, I was pretty sure it was Trump just because of the clamp. The, when you look at it, the MP at the end, it's five letters. They use the Trump font uh, everywhere mm-hmm. and, he's, uh, you know, his job and all that. But when you actually get down to his personality, Kind of nothing like Trump at all, which is why I think it actually bears asking is that not only is he, it's funny that interview you just said, I I almost take issue with uh, the perspective of Joe Dante because he is definitely not the villain in a pretty surprising way you it's it's setting him up to be the villain and he kind of just joins the team and is a hero. And if I have, he does. I have kind of two big issues with it. I love Gremlins too. I have two big flaws in this, and I would say one of the biggest ones is is the ending. Um, is essentially Billy selling out his hometown uh, in a really pop. There, there. Everyone's cheering that yep. Trump is going to model some new development after his hometown, and and then. Uh, and then they're going to pay some extra money. Uh, it, it was just so, uh, such a so capitalistic ending. Uh, and, and so really uh, the Trump character is kind of seen as the ultimate hero of this. I'm glad you bring that up because um, there was this other part of the interview where the initial um, creation of the clamp character was more villainous. And when they hired, uh, what's his name? I know his last name is Glover, John Glover to be him. He's just so goofy. The, The quote was something about how, let me see if I can find it. It changed a bit. The final big screen incarnation of clamp is likely raw, raw because, uh, largely due to the performance of Glover, who he said he was who Dante said was so likable and boyish and gee whiz he started to become sympathetic and so from his perspective it initially it started out a little bit more villainous but because of how likable John Glover is it sort of eased those edges and I'm I'm a little sad that it did because it does it is very much rah-rah capitalism let's take your hometown and market it and become like it's just it it has it has a very icky feeling. I I agree with you there a hundred percent. Yeah, that is. But I love so I love the gremlins and I here's the the diversity of the gremlins here. And the thing is, I I saw this in the movie theater. This was one of my earliest memories of seeing a movie oh, in the really? movie theater. I would have been, yeah, I would have been nine at the time when this came out, nine ish. And I remember seeing, I remember sitting in the movie theater, and I remember getting panicked because there's one moment, and it has nothing to do with Gremlins, but there's a moment where I think, I think they call him Daffy, the kind of googly-eyed Gremlin yeah. character that is like that they take home on accident, uh, that Kate takes home on accident. When she is holding him, and he is like going crazy as they're trying to put him in the box, and he's like making all these weird noises and stuff. It reminded me so much of a similar scene. In um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, when the evil guy is dying oh. and he is melting into a puddle, and, going, ah, ah, ah. and that moment in in Ro- Roger Rabbit terrified me as a kid when I first saw it. And so seeing this and hearing that sound, 
as weird as it is, it brought me back. And I didn't even think about it until last night as I was watching it. And I was like, oh my God, that is the sound of wow. the guy dying in Roger yeah. Rabbit. I had a very visceral response to it. That is such a, I can't believe you have brought this up because when I was doing my soul searching about my influence of this uh, artistically on me, the only other thing I could compare it to uh, for me that was favorite, one of my favorite films was uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And I will say that there is, to bring it back to what this whole dang podcast is about, as I said, there was only one moment in this movie that scared me, and only one moment in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit that scared me. And both of them have a very similar thing of very strangely serious moment in the middle of this fun movie. They're mm-hmm. they are so similar in, in some ways. I brought this up at the beginning. I'm, I would bet, I didn't listen to it. Someone has been on this podcast that did Gremlins 1, correct? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I am guessing that it is the same moment that scared them. May I make my guess? Absolutely. It's got yeah. to be the Santa Claus monologue from Gremlins 1. Because it, that's what it was I, you know, me. I'm trying to remember. It, I don't think that was the one, but we talked about it. We talked about that and how fucking dark it is and how dark that movie is like more than you would think. And they parody it in Gremlins 2. They do. Which is so strange. It is the weirdest thing. I was laughing so hard when she's trying to, it is the weirdest thing. And she's trying to like, she's like, oh God, this unlocked a memory. And it's like, how many horrible memories do you have attached to like specific events? Because she's like going down that route again. And I started laughing because it is definitely the moment in in the first Gremlins where it's just out of nowhere. And she's talking about her dad dying because he was Santa Claus. And she's going down this. He's like, oh no, let's not go down that route. And I just, I it's again, another moment where I'm like, Joe Dante is just sort of like, you know, flicking his his, his teeth at, at people and, and saying, I'm making a big joke here. And I when love I that. saw that, uh, now I understood it as a parody of the first one. When I, right. when I, I thought, this is, makes me feel weird. And, uh, uh-huh. and so that, it, it, the thing that scared me in, in the first Grimmins was the Santa Claus monologue. And in this one, it is the Abe Lincoln's birthday monologue is, is actually what, what day she's talking about. And <laughs> yeah, it, it is. is. It is funny. Also, I will say, I feel like the sensibilities would change. You can barely hear it. But in a very, actually, serious note, I didn't realize when I was younger either, because I kind of just felt the tone of it. That she's actually talking about uh, not a sexual assault, but like a, well, I guess maybe she's talking about a flasher when she's a, when she's she is, like yes. a little girl. Yes. And it colors the, it colors the, the scene of the flasher. The, there's a flasher gremlin yep. that she really yep. freaks out about. And it's kind of played for mm-hmm. laughs. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you have this parody scene where you can barely hear it but you're like oh there's a strange sort of there's just something very deeply serious about this in this movie that's basically a cartoon otherwise and like i said i didn't understand it at the time and it just always kind of freaked me out and and to go back to your roger rabbit there is there is that moment in who framed roger rabbit where suddenly i'm thinking 
I thought this was a dang cartoon. What the heck is going on here? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that the, the show movies and stuff that can do that, that can be one thing. And then for a brief moment, turn to something a little bit meaner and kind of skewer you and then go back to being funny is sometimes more um, traumatizing than a movie that you're going in knowing that you're going to be getting something, you know, super scary or, or a moment that is super real because you don't expect it in here. I mean, this starts off with the Looney Tunes, right? With, with, with Bugs Bunny riding on the Warner Brothers shield. And then this whole like interaction with him and, and Daffy, which was, actually longer and they ended up cutting it down like it goes into daffy coming up with different subtitles for the movie and all this different stuff that they just kind of cut because it the, people were like why is this animation going on for for so long but i love that that is like our intro and then also daffy is is sort of at the very end during the credits mm-hmm. i just love that that is the setting of this and we we get this very looney tunes-esque take on the gremlins and then in the middle of it, it just, as you said, Chuck, just sort of like skewers you with this one moment. It's like, oh, what is happening? Oh, here? Uh, can I ask too? Um, do you remember when I watched this? I was kind of confused. Maybe this is a dream. I remember the middle part being more cartoon. I remember maybe I had a maybe mm. I had a dream, but I remember maybe Elmer Fudd or someone saying that they're hunting gremlins, and then the gremlins come out and do the shadow thing in in the in the midway break when the film breaks so i wonder if because so they the the one that um i watched last night was this was the one in the theaters with hulk hogan and all that kind of stuff but apparently for the the vhs release and the dvd release they changed it into more like your dvd or your vhs is screwing up they actually filmed a different sequence for that so that Mm -hmm. it was joke you while you're watching it from home and so maybe that part that was part of that because i don't i know the vhs version and in that you get a sort of a (laughs) tracking error with fuzz and the gremlins kind of run around in front of that and then uh and then i i really think it goes very quickly to a cartoon where where Elmer Fudd says, I'm hunting for or something like that. Oh, okay. Because now that you're saying that, I'm also having this memory of that as a kid because I would have I would have seen this once in the movie theater and then I would have I wore the tape out a whole lot when I when I was a kid. So I that that does now that you're saying that, because I have not this was the first time I'd watched this movie since I was a little kid for sure. And so there was a lot of it that I was like, is this movie gonna stand up to my memories of watching it? And boy, it definitely it is. Well, on that note. Do we want to start wrapping yes. up and give this our rating out of five? Sounds good. All right. Um, can I change our rate? We can didn't I, even talk can about Can I change Marla. our rating out of five? Yeah. Because I want to change it to yes, how many please. surprise Looney Tunes moments out of five do you give Gremlins oh, yes. to? Yes. <laughs> yes. Before, should we do a quick uh, just discussion at least about Marla? What a strange... The fact that they go to a, a, a Canadian food restaurant. A Canadian restaurant? <laughs> And he's asking to like serve a, a like a, a horn, an antler from for like a moose. Like incredible. And I love Marla's character. I love her having giant red hair and a weird accent. I love, I just I love a character with big curly red hair. And I feel like it's always this yes. character. I don't know why women with big curly hair are typecast as like the bitchy boss, but like 
Marla's voice is very, I don't know. Everything about her is also very- Her accent is constantly changing. I love also, her. And, it, and again, oh. the New York vibes with Marla. I just feel like there's always that like very like type A, go, go, go woman with like artsy looks. It has that funny light, has like the big ass lighter and is always stressed out. Like she is that character to a T and is also, again, changing accents. It's very strange, but I love her. This is the type cast that you were talking about when watching it last last night to bring it back to Flame Roger Rabbit. That came out in what, 80? Reminded me. I think Roger Rabbit was 88. So um, that was in everyone's minds when they were filming Gremlins 2. She really, um, Marla really just seems like uh, Jessica Rabbit is kind of what they're trying to do. And I, I did like that she was like an ad executive, like an executive rather than the secretary. Cause you know, again, those characters are usually like the secretary, but she's the boss. Yes. And we do play, oh, does yes. play into like the hot boss kind of thing with like, but again, love these characters. Weird, wacky, but they just really add a lot to this movie. One final thing about Marla too. They, um, they said that apparently in the nineties, Trump ended up um, having an affair with a Marla Maples. And so they had asked them, is, was this like, and she's like, no, she was named Marla for no reason whatsoever. It was a nutty coincidence. Um, (laughs) Yeah, right. But yeah, there's a lot of, right. There might have been, you know, sometimes with names, you you have a year where it's, you can look up how many names, that's not a common name now, but they're in that that generation of the eighties, maybe they're just, there were a whole the whole parade of Marlins coming through could be it, but I don't know really. Hell yeah. All yeah. right. So let's wrap up and give this a rating out of five. Terry, you're up first. How okay. many surprise yes. Looney Tunes cartoons out of five do you give Gremlins to? As I was kind of saying, I didn't know what to expect when I was rewatching this because this was a favorite of mine as a kid and I have not seen it in probably, I don't know, 30 years, I would oh, say. Wow. It's been a very, very long time. I love this movie so much. I do think it's better than Gremlins because I think it takes what made Gremlins so interesting and just explodes it in so many different ways. I think the Gremlins themselves have so much more personality from the uh, the Greta, the woman Gremlin, to like the lightning one, to the body horror of the the one Gremlin growing vegetables on his face. Like this is baby's first body horror in some ways. It's are like so good in this movie. They are. And I also think that this movie kind of shows the importance of um, practical effects because there are times where it's definitely like superimposed images. I don't know if they use like um, uh, rotoscoping or what they did for some of the animated sequences, but like you can definitely tell a difference between the kind of more computer generated ones and the practical effects. And this just shows you how reacting to gremlins as a physical thing is just so much better than just pure you know computer generated creatures and i just i don't know i love this movie i think it's funny i think there's some moments in it that are scary i think that i love the the kind of homage to the horror genre with fred the dracula we didn't even get to talk about him just sort of like all of these little things that were a celebration of horror i just i think this is one of dante's best films and i love it so freaking much so for, for me it's five surprise looney tune moments what about you mary beth okay so I think I, I think I'm going with four and a half. I'm going to go with four and a half. Okay. I, uh, I'm so stuck on what to do because it, they're so different. I keep like waffling and it's such like a non-answer, mm-hmm. but I just, <laughs> I love 
how creative it is. And honestly, I want more fuck you movies from directors because if this is a fuck you movie, it's a real good fuck you. And yeah, I know it didn't do great when it first came out and it's gotten a cult following now, but man, oh man, I love a good fuck you. And I just love that he said, all right, cool. We're going to make the wildest shit, but also really fun, practical effects everywhere. Gremlins growing out of backs and popping out of backs, like Suriname (laughs) frogs and just people getting attacked left, right and center. And, yeah, it's a fuck you, but it's also a really impressive look at how to expand scope and how to take, expand scope and limit it at the same time, which I think is so cool yeah. to see how that's done. And I think it's just so fun. Christopher Lee is in this as a doctor. So good. And I just, I. Dr. Catheter, Dr. by Catheter. the way. Like, it's just so not serious. And I so deeply respect that, how unserious it is. And I love that a lot. So, Chuck, you have the final word. How many Looney Tunes, uh, surprise Looney Tunes cartoons out of five do you give Gremlins to? Wow. Okay, I have, this might be surprising. I, I wish I knew, because this is my choice. And I actually think, so if you were to ask me, uh, Young Buckaroo, this was one of, maybe my dang favorite for, for a while, for a couple of dang years there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Upon yeah. rewatch, there were, um, I said two earlier, there were three things about it that stood out here. I was like, I don't like that as much anymore. I don't know how often this okay. happens that you both rank a movie higher than the guest who picked it. I'm going to give it, um, I still love it, but I'm going to give it four surprise Looney Tunes out of five. Um, okay. I'm going to take off one point just for my issues. The first one is that the moral of the story is it is so the 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 Daniel Clamp buying Billy's home like the rights to the design yeah. of Billy's hometown, and then there's this thing where where it, it, the uh, Phoebe takes is it Kate is her character named Kate mm-hmm. yes hey. Kate, mm-hmm. Kate says oh well you know that'll cost you and then uh, he's like well we'll pay whatever you can like there's not only do they sell it but the whole point of it is we're really gonna make a lot of money from this. Um, so that I thought was strange. Number two, um, in going, um, in going back, there's, I tend to think of things, like I said, in in screenplay, there's this book that is kind of made fun of in some ways, but I I think it's very helpful in screenplay writing called Saves the Cat. And there's something in that Mm -hmm. called, called the fun and games segment of the script. The fun and games in this film is going to say a little bit too long where there's a big middle section that when I was a kid, I, I was like, put this on for three dang hours. Show me, let's come up with even, uh, let's do an ice gremlin. Where's the fire gremlin? But, but, <laughs> right. but when, and what, re-watching it, at a certain point, I thought, there is literally n- nothing happening. Plot-wise, it is a, it is a stack of scenes for about uh, 45 minutes to an hour right in the middle that has no plot at ever. And the main uh, thing, the reason I don't like that is because uh, Gizmo is completely forgotten about that entire time. Yeah, the whole middle true. of the movie Gizmo uh, is just being tortured, which is kind of strange, uh, makes his redemption a yeah. little better. Said It sounds like I hated it, but I love this movie still. 
uh, I don't want to bring it down too much, but for those two things, I'm going to take off half a star and I'm going to give it okay. a, a, a total of four and a half or four, two half stars off for each of my issues. Four out of five surprise mini tunes. And uh, I'm, I'm maybe now it's tied with the original Gremlin. I got to rewatch the original one. Maybe I'm actually tied with them now. My whole life, Gremlins 2 has been better. But what? part of me, oh. I was kind of wishing for a little more plot momentum and a little bit more yeah. like that scene in Gremlins 1 when, when the Ohot Gremlin is in the kitchen by the microwave. Oh, yeah. That is terrifying it is absolutely so there i just kind of was wishing uh, by the end of it i thought give me just one of those i don't know so i'm the four i'm four yeah. out of five gotcha. hell yeah that sounds good yeah so thank you so much chuck for joining us to talk about gremlins too where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you can share and talk about i am on basically every social media as a at either at Chuck Tingle, at real uh, Chuck Tingle on TikTok, in TikTok, at Dr. Chuck Tingle on uh, Tumblr. I used to just say Twitter, but I think that it's probably, who knows if it will even exist by the time this comes out. So uh, yep. you can find me there. And, and um, I would say uh, if you like uh, the things I have said and, and uh, enjoy my way, uh, get to Camp Damascus. Uh, which is, uh, I guess, but out tomorrow when this airs. Yep. So uh, that will be uh, great, and uh, we can support queer neurodivergent uh, horror. Fuck yeah! Fuck oh, yeah. yeah! That's what we're all about here on Scarred for Life. Um, so, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Gremlins Two? Do you have a favorite between Gremlins Two and Gremlins? Let us know by sending us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we do have a Patreon. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. scratch there's a playful way you can do just that scratch with the key or acrylic nail scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail use a belt buckle from your friend lamar or scratch with your pick while you play guitar you can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways scratchers from the california lottery a little play can make your day please play responsibly must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. 
I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>